Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find Isaiah chapter number 7. Isaiah chapter number 7. While you're finding your place in Isaiah chapter 7, do we have any grandparents? If you're a grandparent like me, Ernest, would you just lift your hand up nice and high? Yeah. Oh, man, look at all those hands. Look at this. Put them up one more time. Let everybody look around. It's a, isn't it great to be a grandparent? Hey, it is just wonderful, wonderful. Did you hear the story about the two little boys that went to spend the night with their grandparents? It was Christmas, and Christmas Eve, and their parents were out shopping. They said, well, just let the boys spend the night with you, and then the next morning we'll all come together. It'll just be a great time. And so, James, they went over to their grandparents' house, and it was bedtime. And so uh, they went up to their little bedroom that they had at Grandma's house, and they knelt down, and they made sure the door was open, and they started praying. And the youngest one started. And when he started praying, he just started shouting at the top of his lungs, Oh God, please help me to get that new bicycle that I've asked for for Christmas. Oh God, please let me get that football that I've been asking for Christmas. And that skateboard, I loved it so much. Would you please make sure I get that skateboard? To which his brother opened his eyes in the prayer and smacked his brother on the arm and said, Man, why are you yelling? God's not deaf. And he looks, he says, I know, but Grandma is. (laughs) That's all too real uh, in many cases. Well, if you found your place in Isaiah chapter number 7, we're going to look at verse number 14. Before I read the text, I want to give you just a little bit of background on what's happening here. At this point in Israel's life, Israel's been divided. Uh, There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom has made an alliance with Syria. Now, we all know about Syria. We know what Syria is like today. We understand how how dangerous a place that is and how threatening it is and how Syria really wants to push Israel into the sea. That really hasn't changed after all these years. Uh, The same was true then. The same is true even today. As a matter of fact, This was a strategic alliance between the northern kingdom and Syria to try to get Israel to unite with them in some form of an alliance. And Israel would not do it. And because they would not do it, what they needed, Israel needed more than anything, was salvation. And so God sends a message to Ahaz in chapter number 7 to encourage the children of Israel to let them know that their salvation is in the Lord. What's fascinating about this is that when God uses Isaiah to proclaim this salvation, he's not talking about political salvation. He's not talking about national salvation. He's going to refer to the fact that the salvation that we need is salvation of our sins. And God is fulfilling and will fulfill His promise even during this age, which, by the way, remember, this is 700 years before Jesus Christ shows up on the scene. You clearly understand that our God that we worship is a patient God. 
He is a loving God. He's a forgiving God. He's not a God of a second chance, Hawkman. He's a God of another chance. And I'm so grateful that He's a God of another chance. And I'm grateful that even in the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 1, in verse number 9, He has shared with us, through John, He has said that if you confess your sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. This passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 was written to Christians to encourage them to know that when you got saved, you were saved from your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. But we deal every day with our present sins, do we not? And thanks be unto God that when we got saved, we were not made perfect on this planet, but through the eyes of Jesus Christ, we have been covered in His blood. And so to fail on this planet, to fail in humanity, is a simple recognition of conviction inside of a Christian's heart to say, God, I've messed up, to which he says, I know. And to which we say, will you forgive me, God? To which he says, I already have. And here we find 700 years before the Messiah shows up on the scene, God says this in chapter number 7, in verse number 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. We find the fulfillment of that promise found in Matthew chapter 1. In verse number 21, the Bible says that she'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22 communicates the truth of, of chapter of verse 21, and verse number 23 gives us the interpretation of what Emmanuel really means. And he says that Emmanuel means God is with us. If there's ever been a time in our life where we needed to know God is with us, it's today. But if there was ever a time that, that Israel needed to know that God was with them, it was during this season of their life. They needed to know that God was with them. And might I add, God has never left us. God has never forsaken us. He has never left us as orphans. He's always been with us. And the times by which we see ourselves going, where is God? Does He even care? Does He care that I'm going through this trial? Does He care that I'm going through this heartache? Does He care that I go, am going through this bad time? The answer is, not only does He care, He's carrying you through it. Why? Because He's with us. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. And when you think about the beautiful names of, of God throughout the course of, 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 of Christmas, think about them just for a minute. I think Isaiah did a beautiful job mentioning the names of Jesus, and we refer to that at Christmas. Uh, wonderful Counselor. Is God not a wonderful Counselor? He is also the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And as beautiful as those words are, the uh, punch, if you would, the, the strength, the, 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 the uh, uh, focus that we have at Christmas when we think about the vocabulary of who Jesus is, 
It all boils down to he is Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. A lot of times we, we forget that he's God with us. It's like we have this identity crisis with who God is. I, several years ago, I had someone steal my identity. Has anybody in here besides me been a, the, uh, the victim of identity theft? Has anybody else in here had that go, go through that mess? That's a challenge. Uh, I'm telling you, it is, Deborah, it is hard to go through an identity. i tell you what happened. I was in Bible college. I was in a class, and it was lunchtime. It was time to go to lunch. We dismissed. Me and a buddy went over uh, to a little restaurant. We sat down and ate, and uh, come time to pay, and I gave him a card. I didn't give him my debit card, praise God. I gave him a credit card. He took it in the back, wrote the number down, and after we left and went back to school, he left work and went to the Home Depot. And, man, I think he renovated his whole kitchen. And I had to prove to them, I had to prove to the Home Depot who I was. I had to prove that I was Shane Robertson. And I, I could not. I, I had an alibi. I was in a Bible class taking classes while this guy was out shopping pretending uh, to be me. And when you think about this issue of, of identity crisis and, and trying to defend your identity, that is big business today. Trying to defend who you are. And I'm like, come on, man, I know who I am. You know, it's, you know uh, I'm not the only person whose face challenges trying to prove their identity to someone. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, as he was born, is still suffering from mankind not knowing who he really is. And failing to recognize that he is the Messiah. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And this morning, I wanted to take just a little bit of time, and I wanted to want to talk about the predictions of the Messiah. The predictions of the Messiah. And in thinking about the predictions of the Messiah, there are several things that I want to share with you, if I could, with what time I have left, about the prediction in the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament. The Messiah is Jesus Christ. So I hope you have your pens today. Uh, this will be a wonderful opportunity for you not just to get some points, but to get some information and some ammunition, if you will, to help de defend. And Jesus don't need defending. But as far as us having information to dispense to those who have questions about is Jesus the Messiah it'll be enlightening to see from this passage and from other passages throughout the scripture who Jesus is in the prediction of his Messiahship so number one the first thing I want you to look at is the prediction of his birth the prediction of his birth. Last week we talked about Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 and we pointed to that as the very first prediction of Jesus' birth but there are other passages of Scripture that we can point to on the prediction of Jesus' birth as well. Uh, one of which is Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. Again, 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah tells us in the text, The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. The fulfillment of the prediction of Jesus' birth is found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, the scripture reads this. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet that might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, for he was called Emmanuel. He fulfills the prediction of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Some 700 years before when Israel was faced with demolition and destruction and war and calamity, they needed to know that God was with them. And God came through again just like He does every time. But it wasn't without challenge. It wasn't without hardship. It wasn't without difficulty. Can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes? Can you imagine being engaged, uh, gentlemen, to your, uh, uh, to your spouse, but being engaged to her? To which you were betrothed, to which you were promised to one another, that you would uh, be pure, that you would not have any intimate relationship with anyone else, but all of a sudden, hear that your expected wife is now expecting a child. How would we respond to that? Just like Joseph would, I imagine, in shock. Joseph could not believe what had just taken place. Joseph was a good man, a righteous man, a, a man of faith, a man that feared God, a man that loved God. And the Bible says because he loved God, he did not want to make Mary a public spectacle. He did not want to prounce her about amongst everyone and say, she ran around on me, she, she had an affair on me, she's pregnant now. And so can you imagine how he must have felt as he contemplated, I ain't marrying her. Ain't going to do it. Not going to do it. Many of us go through trials and difficulties and hardships and hard times. And we wonder, is it worth it? I've sacrificed so much. I've given my life to this or I've given my life to that. And I've put my faith in God and I've asked God to help me and to protect me and to watch over me. And now this is what I get. And yet God comes through every time. Notice what he did with Joseph. He came to Joseph in a dream. And he tells Joseph in that dream, he says, Do not be afraid to marry Mary as your wife. Because the child that is in her really is of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, it's one thing for God to show up in a dream. But I'm telling you, God speaks very clearly. In fact, the, the Bible tells us, uh, Peter said it in, in his letter. He says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, which means we don't need a visitation of an angel today. We have the word of the living God. Because we have the completed word of God, the Bible says, Peter says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is a more sure word of prophecy, which means what's contained in this passage of Scripture or contained in this book is 
everything that we need to know that Emmanuel is still with us even in the difficulties of our life. So if you don't think God is with you, remember the promise of God when He said, I'll never leave you or I'll never forsake you. I will help you get through. You may not understand it right now, but it will be told to you by and by later on down the road. You say, well, I don't like the way God does that. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. He's going to do it that way because that's the way He's been doing it since the creation of the world. say, man, that's hard. It is. But God loves us enough to give us a choice to either follow Him or reject Him. You see, it would not be love if He made you love Him. It wouldn't be true love. And so God allows for us to go through difficult times. Whether it be a sickness of a child, whether it be a difficulty in a marriage whether it be hard times at work, whether it be a physical ailment with ourselves, a struggle, God will never take you into a storm that He won't see you through the storm. Say, well, I don't see Him active in the storm. Probably because He's down below taking a nap. He ain't worried about the storm around us. He's worried about us. He loves us. He cares for us. So much so that He predicted His birth. A Messiah will come. Jesus will come. He will be Emmanuel. He is with us. Number two, the second prediction we find in Scripture is the prediction of His ministry. The prediction of His ministry. There are several predictions about Jesus' ministry. Let me hit a few of those if I could. Like number one, there's a prediction about his ministry that he would be preceded by a messenger. He'd be preceded by a messenger. Isaiah chapter 40 again, verse number 3, the Bible says that when he comes there will be a voice, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord. And it will be made in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah said there's going to be a forerunner. There's going to be somebody coming before the Messiah gets here. And that person will let them know that the Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. The fulfillment of that is found in Matthew chapter 3, verse number 3. In Matthew 3, 3, the Bible talks about a man by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going out and he's saying, here he comes, prepare ye the way of the Lord, repent ye brood of vipers, he's coming, the Messiah's coming, and Matthew 3, 3 says this, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I'm telling you, prediction after prediction, it is made in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New, Jesus is Emmanuel. He would be predicted, it was predicted that he'd be preceded by a Messiah. It also would be predicted, number two, that he would begin his ministry in Galilee. He would begin his ministry in Galilee. Isaiah, again, chapter number 9, verse number 1. In the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse number 1, the Bible says this, But there will be no more gloom of her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of, of Zebulun, and the land of Nephilim with contempt. But later 
He shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. On the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Oh, what a fascinating verse which is given by Isaiah, saying that this ministry of the Messiah would begin in Galilee. The Bible is clear in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Also again in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Time and again, the Scripture says He began His ministry in Galilee. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when he had heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, but which is by the sea, the region of Zebulun and Nephaltai. Now from that time, according to verse 17, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began His ministry, if you would, according to Old Testament prophecy in Galilee, as it said He would in Matthew chapter 4. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does our, our culture need more than anything? We need to know that Emmanuel's with us. How do we know that Emmanuel's with us? By accepting the word of the living God. And when we accept the word of the living God, we know that Jesus Christ really was born in history. He really lived during history. He really died during history. And you can't find him today because he really resurrected during history. Thank God for Christmas, for it points to Emmanuel, God with us. Let me give you another one. The Bible also has predicted that he would have a ministry of miracles. He would have a ministry of miracles. Again, in Isaiah 35, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6. In Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says this, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams of Abram. Then in Matthew chapter number 9 verse 35. And there are many other passages. But in Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 the scripture says this. And Jesus was going about all the cities, plural, and villages, plural, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus fulfilled the ministry of miracles that the Messiah was prophesied that he would have. By the way, <clears throat> Jesus is still in the miracle-making business. Jesus still does miracles today. I've seen Jesus heal those that have had uh, cancer in their eyes. I've seen Him heal those that have cancer in their lungs. I've, I've seen God do miraculous things that people say, uh, this can't be, that this is just be some kind of fluke. No, it's no fluke. It's the Father touching people. I still believe in miracles. The greatest miracle that Jesus Christ has ever performed is the miracle of salvation. The miracle of a lost person. Understanding that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. 
and understanding that because of the sovereignty of God and the love of God, that God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Jesus does not have to perish in hell, but have everlasting life. And to understand that the Messiah is the answer to the sin, sickness that has plagued our entire world. Jesus is the only one that saves. And to understand that, and to come to Jesus by faith, and receive Christ by repenting of sin, and trusting Him as personal Savior and Lord, oh, that is the greatest miracle of all time. For God to see a lost person turn from his wickedness, and turn to Jesus... And with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, repent of their sins and walk in a newness of life. I'm telling you, March 22nd, 1988, as a 14-year-old boy, I'm telling you, I clearly understood I was lost. I clearly understood I was going to hell. I knew if I died that day, I'd bust hell wide open. But thank God that preacher preached the truth. And in the truth, he gave me a good old-fashioned gospel invitation. And the Holy Spirit convicted me so that I couldn't sit there. I couldn't wait any longer. I ran to Jesus. That's what we need. We need to run to Jesus. That's what our culture needs. The greatest gift of all is the gift of salvation. God's gift to us and what we can give back to God is the sacrifice of praise in living our life for Jesus Christ. He do a ministry of miracles. Number four, the Bible also prophesied that he would teach in parables. Listen to what Psalm 78.2 says about the Messiah. Psalm 78.2 says this, I will open my mouth in parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. That was fulfilled in many passages of Scripture, but one that I want to give you today as a proof text is Matthew 13.34. In Matthew 13.34, the Bible says this, All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. He did not speak to them without parables. Brothers and sisters, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus spoke earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Like as an example uh, in regards to this issue of the vine. There was a tree and it wasn't bearing fruit. And God cursed that tree and He spoke to them in a parable. And we utter and think about what happened there according to the Word of God. And He just simply says that Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We're the ones that bear fruit as Jesus speaks to us. Does that really mean Jesus is a a literal vine? No! It is speaking grammatically in the form of giving us an illustration or a parable, if you would, of of an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus is the way that we get our strength and we bear fruit because of what Jesus gives to us. And so we find that He spoke in parables. Let me give you just a couple more if I could very quickly as my time gets, is getting away. The Bible also said that he would enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. He would enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
And when you think about him entering into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey, uh, we find very clearly uh, in regards uh, to how he entered in. And that's found over in uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The Bible says this, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus gives us insight in Luke chapter 19, verse 35, as the Scripture says this. This Bible says, And they brought this donkey, brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. Time and time and time again, the Bible is very clear that a prophecy was made about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. The Bible also prophesies that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3, the scripture says this, All nations will come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. Acts chapter 13, verse 47 says this, For thus the Lord commands us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That scripture was written to Paul. Paul was proclaiming that Jesus is salvation. And the salvation that Jesus offers is not just for the Gentiles, but for the whole world. For whosoever will can come to Jesus Christ. Luke 24, 27 says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Jesus said, The scripture says this about me. I fulfill this, and in fulfill this, I am making a way, a bridge, if you will, for you to get to God. And that bridge will come through my death, Jesus says. In fact, the Bible not only gives us predictions about his ministry, this is the third point I want to give you. He also gives predictions about his death. Predictions about his death. Again, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 6, the scripture says this. He was despised and forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes, by his scourging, by him, if we would, we are healed. All of us are like sheep, and we've all gone astray. Each of us have turned of our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. Isaiah simply said in regards to humanity and the destruction of humanity and in the awfulness of sin, sin has been passed from mankind to mankind to mankind all the way down through the generations from Adam and Eve all the way till today. And because of sin, man's going to die. But there must be a price to be paid in order for man to get to heaven. And and that price is not based upon works. God tried that. God said, I'm going to give man an opportunity 
to please me by their works in the Garden of Eden. He said, it's just plain and simple. You can eat of every tree of the garden that you want to eat. Every one of them. There's only one tree you don't eat from. And it's that one. Because in the day that you eat that tree, you'll die. I don't know what it is about children when you give them options like that, but it's just the sin nature that's been passed on from Adam and Eve all the way down. I clearly understand that. Uh, but why is it, and you can ask a kid, don't do this, don't do this, and the first thing they want to do is do it. Like, like I'll never forget, Buzzard. I, this is, it haunts me. Uh, I'm 47 years old. It still haunts me. I can remember being just a little bitty fella, and, and my parents had an eight-track uh, cassette uh, a deck. How many know what eight tracks are? All the old people. Let me tell the young people what they are. It, it's it's this it, it, it it's this 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 piece of plastic. It's about I don't know maybe about that wide, about that long, and and it's like a cassette tape. Y'all don't even know what a cassette tape is. Lord, I, I done got myself in a mess. I don't know how to explain it. Anyways, the the thing is, you could put this this uh, eight track tape inside this device, and it would play the music. And man, we had Kenny Rogers' Christmas. Can I get a witness right there? Man, it was something else. Oh man, I can remember going down the uh, road listening to Kenny Rogers and that 8-track tape. Well, we had one at the house. And my mama looked at me one day and she said, Shane, don't put your finger in that 8-track tape thing. It'll get stuck in there because it was spring-loaded. You know what I'm talking about? Spring-loaded. And it was like, a, like Chinese handcuffs. Well, what did she do? The first time she wasn't looking around, what did I do? I looked around, noticed that nobody was looking. I pushed that thing a few times. Oh, that's really neat. I wonder what's in there. And I'd pick it up and I'd look in there. And I'd say, what is that right back in there? And so I stuck my finger in there. And when I did, I pulled my finger off. Well, that thing shut on my finger and I couldn't get my finger out. I looked like that dumb monkey. You know, you ever seen a monkey try to reach a banana in a barrel and he got their hand? And all he's got to do is turn loose of the banana and he can get his hand out. Well, I was just as dumb. I had that thing in that, my finger and that thing and I couldn't get it out. And I just, I started crying. I thought I was going to die right there. Can you imagine? I'm just laid out dead with my fingers stuck in the eight-track tape. Mama came in and said, son, I told you not to do that. And she just pushed that little thing, and my finger came right out. It was a miracle. I thought, I'm saved. I'm saved. God did the same thing with Adam and Eve. He said, you can eat of any tree you want, but don't eat of that one. Because in the moment you eat of that tree, you're going to die. We know that the devil got in the mix, and he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He is a murderer. He is a murderer from the beginning. He's a murderer still today. And he begins his murdering tactics by lying every time. And he lied to Eve. He said, did God really say you would surely die if you touched it? And so there's Adam and Eve standing in front of the eight-track tape. And Eve takes first. And she gives it to man. At that point in time, God in His great sovereignty who knew what was going to happen, but because He loved us, He gave us an opportunity to try to get to Him by works. We failed. And the Bible says in Romans that because of one man's sin, that's Adam and Eve, because of where one man's sin and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And here we are today, dying. The statistics, one in one, they all die. 
We are destined for death. And after that, the judgment. Thank God the Bible says this. But God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when you think about the death of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of that, we come, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 27. In Matthew 27, the Bible says this in verse number 27. The Bible says, the Scriptures reply, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and they put him on a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed their knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and they took the ring and they smote it upon his head. They smacked him upon the head with it. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own raiment on him. And they led him away to crucify him. And then the scriptures go all the way through the crucifixion where we see the brutalness of Roman crucifixion. Suffocation. Yet Jesus says, when we read the scriptures... The Bible tells us that as he's on his dying bed, uh, as he's dying, he's about to give up the ghost, he tells them, he cries out to the Father, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Messiah, Jesus Christ, died. Jesus had said just a few weeks earlier, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days. So too must the Son of Man. Day one passed. Jesus was still dead. Day two passed. Jesus was still dead. But on the third day, Jesus was dead no more. For on the third day, Jesus rose again. And probably one of the most powerful prophecies, if you would, uh, that we see in the fulfillment of the Messiah is that He came from the dead. He rose up from the dead. Remember, before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, before the resurrection, we're still living in Old Testament promises. We're still living in Old Testament activity. We're still living in Old Testament, if you would. Even though we're in the New Testament, when Jesus is born, up until the resurrection, there is still Old Testament acknowledgement. But what happened at the resurrection? Why is the resurrection so different? Because Jesus is the Messiah and what happened on the cross ripped the veil of the temple from top to bottom. Jesus gave access into the Holy of Holies which said no more sacrifice of animals. The blood of a spotless lamb has been made once and for all and that is Jesus. But the lamb is not dead forever. He could only stay dead about three days and up from the grave he rose victorious over death victorious over hell victorious over the grave we serve Emmanuel God with us and he's alive thank God he's alive and so we find in the prediction of his resurrection 
In Luke chapter 24, verses 21, the Scripture says this, But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since things were happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early this morning, they did not find His body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels and and said that He was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and, and found it just exactly as the women said. But they did not see. Why did they not see Jesus? Because He's alive. The Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 28, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn on the first day of the week, there came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was like as white as snow. And fear of him and the keepers did shake, and they became as dead men. That word became as dead men. They fell out, man. They were absolutely dead. They were dead. They scared to death, passed out. They're gone. The angel answered and said to the women, Fear not. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Go and tell quickly his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Well, they lickety split in verse number 8. They went as fast as they could to tell the disciples. And we find that in verse number 9, And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came, and they held him by his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that I go to Galilee, and there they shall see me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is Emmanuel because He rose from the dead and people saw Him with their own eyes. Oh, brothers and sisters, the Bible is very clear. Thomas said, God, I, I, I told the disciples told Thomas, said, Thomas, He's alive. We saw Him. And what did Thomas say? Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus Christ is alive until I can take my finger and stick them in the nail prints of His hand and I can thrust my side up into his side where they, where they pierced him with that spear. I'm not going to believe it unless that happens. And lo and behold, the Bible says it happened. Thomas, here I am. Take your fingers and put them in the, in the prints. Here's my side. Thrust your hand up in my side, Thomas. Thomas said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus looked at Thomas and said this. Don't miss this. Thomas, you're blessed because you got to see the hands, the scars. Thomas, you're blessed because you got to see my scars. But how much more blessed are those who believe who have never, ever seen. 
March 22nd, 1988. I'm sitting there listening to this preacher preach. All of a sudden, he gives this invitation where he says, if you don't want to die in your sin and you want to trust Jesus as Savior, I want to invite you to come. We started singing that old hymn, Just As I Am. And I got to thinking about that. See, I think that's probably one of the challenges we have today in the invitation is our mind wanders. You know, like we're closing up and we're getting ready and it's so easy to, to check, um, check on what's going on here. So, you know, he's done preaching. This, this invitation's not for me. So let me see. I wonder what the, uh, I wonder what the attendance is like over at La Hacienda. How many people are there? I wonder if that's a, that's a good time or not. Let me look on Yelp, or let me check my messages. And, and we get distracted. It'd, be, it'd do us well during invitation to really focus on the song, really focus on, on who we are, seeing just as I am without one plea. And as I got to thinking about coming to Jesus, I knew I had to come to Jesus just like I was. See, a lot of people get confused, Timothy. What they think is they think in order for them to get to Jesus, they've got to clean themselves up. Let me stop drinking. Let me stop doing drugs. Let me stop looking at pornography. Let me stop running around on my spouse. They, they, they think oh, they got to do all these things and clean themselves up. Say, Let me do that first, James, and then I'll come to Jesus. That's not what he wants. He wants you to come just like you are. You say, well, I'm dirty. I know. He knows. He's the one that can clean you up. Well, I'm unholy. He knows. He's the one that can make you holy. Well, I'm afraid what other people might think. So, you would rather go to hell based on you're afraid of what others think than to come to Jesus and get forgiveness of your sins? I'm going to be honest with you. I was under such conviction at 14 years of, of age. And I'm talking about I'm with my peers, Keith. I mean, all my peers, the people I run around with on Friday night and Saturday night. You know, we go cruising. Uh, we go cruising down on Broad Street. and just I mean, just, oh, I remember all that stuff. I didn't care about any of that at that moment. I just did not want to go to hell. Because I knew my sins were sending me to hell. And so I had to come to Jesus just like I was. And I came down and I gave Jesus my heart. I didn't see him. I didn't put my fingers in the prints of his hand. I didn't hear the hallelujah chorus. I'm telling you, the church didn't erupt in laughter. Nobody pointed and made fun of me. And if they did, it wouldn't have mattered because I got saved. It ain't never been the same since. Man, that was some 34 years ago, y'all. 34 years ago, I made a decision to trust Christ, and I've never been the same since. Say, are you perfect? Bless God, my wife's sitting up here. Don't ask her. She'll tell. I am not perfect. But I'm forgiven. And I clearly understand that Emmanuel means his God is with us. And if I'm going to personalize it, I'd just say this, God. God's with me. He's with me. Wherever I go, He's with me. There ain't a place I don't go where He's not with me. And what I'm asking you today, friend, is this. Is He with you? Is He with you? 
Because he came to us. But it's up to you to make a decision to come to him. He's already came to us. Will you come to him? Could we bow for prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as your instrumentalists come with a hymn of invitation. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you want to come to him. You want to come to Jesus because Jesus has come to you. Dear friend, here, if you're here today and you're in the, this worship center with me, you want to come to Jesus, would you say something like this to him? From your heart to God's heart, would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Today, I repent of my sin. And I trust you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.